Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Paul Dennett, he's a cricket podcaster, broadcaster and commentator. He's also part of the fantastic Cricket Unfiltered podcast and he joins us once again on another very big day of cricket news in Australia. G'day, Paul. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Thanks so much for the time once again. Uh, today, Pat Cummins has been unveiled as the 47th Test Skipper of Australia. The temptation to go back to a known quality with such a big series coming up has been overpowered by the new dawn, I guess, led by the number one ranked Test bowler in the world. Uh, your, your initial reaction to the announcement? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's sad circumstances that it's come about in, but I think putting those to one side for a moment, uh, it's a sort of a triumphant moment that um, Pat Cummins has been for so long, uh, was for so long, potentially the one that got away for Australian cricket, that he was, he made his debut spectacularly back in, I think it was 2011, and then he was just injured year after year after year, and all of us cricket fans were sort of thinking, if he could ever get his body right, he could be amazing. And then all of a sudden he did, and he's now strung together season after season of uh, almost injury-free cricket. His figures are extraordinary. He's, he's putting together a, a statistical package that could put him right at the top of all Australian bowlers ever. And now to have this additional um, feather tees cap of being the actual captain, uh, I think it's great. And I think that, um, you know, I was probably one of these ones that agreed that maybe you shouldn't have a fast bowler as captain. And then when he was first mooted as being the captain a few years ago, I thought, why not? There's no reason not to in this day and age. They're so fit. They have so much tactical planning done off the field. And he's an intelligent, affable uh, guy. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a, um, in difficult circumstances, it's a, it's a, it's a triumphant day. I thought um, Pat's, you know, adamancy about not resting was fantastic as well. He's, you know, and I'm going to stay on as Skip. I haven't missed any tests uh, since, you know, I've overcome those injuries. So I think he's uh, all set to go. Uh, you're a great historian of the game, uh, Paul. Do you know why uh, we can't pick a fast bowler as captain or where that started or where it's come from? Well, there's a variety of reasons. We've, had, we've really only had one test match. As, like Ray Lindwell, a great Australian uh, fast bowler of, of the 1940s and 50s was captain filling in. Um, I think that there's a, there's one of the main reasons is that you tend to be regarded as captaincy material late 20s, early 30s. And until the most recent era, that was kind of the uh, when fast bowlers were all um, starting to retire. Um, also, there's the feeling that you do your main work as a captain, tactically speaking, on the field. And they used to talk about Bob Willis, the late Bob Willis, when he was captain of England, he'd bowl and he almost got into a zombie-like state when he bowled and suddenly he'd be standing there the next over, physically drained and in his cocoon of bowling and needing to change the field and make bowling decisions and it just wasn't ideal. Um, There's also that kind of myth that fast bowlers are a bit um, less cerebral, shall we say, (laughs) than batters and 
you know, there's, there's the old anecdote. I think it was Jeff Thompson was asked by Greg Chappell to bowl a couple of outswingers and an inswinger. He did the opposite and he admitted he didn't know which way to hold the ball for which. And I think that story is probably um, <laughs> apocryphal, but that's the sort of um, the, the stereotype. I've actually just read an interesting article that probably doesn't apply so much to Australia, but in other countries, class was a factor that in, the, in England, certainly, they used to separate the players into professionals and those who were amateurs and only amateurs would be considered as potential captains. And most of the fast bowlers were professionals from the sort of uh, the lower classes. So that's sort of a, a, an issue, maybe not so much in Australia, but oh, I think it's great that we're changing it. And I, I was also impressed with his um, performance in the press conference today. I liked how when they asked him about would he like to be one day captain rather than giving a cliche answer, he basically said, no, I'm just going to be test captain. I'm going to focus on that. Um, and also they said, will you be captain for the rest of your career? And again, very searingly honest answer. He said, I'd love to play for another seven years. It's hard to see me being captain for that whole length of time. So I thought it was a, a, a very pleasant level of candor and honesty in his answers. Realistic as well. Uh, Steve Smith, uh, some experience around Patton, of course. If you look for the house from the detractors, you'll find them. But is it a sign of how far he's built back the respect since being removed from the captaincy to get back to this role? Yeah, I, I think to a degree. And personally, I think that it's correct that he is considered for captaincy roles. Uh, I think that what he did in Cape Town, you know, that was a, it was wrong and he deserved punishment. But, you know, I, I think more what he did was he showed weakness as a leader. He overlooked something that really needed to be stopped. I've read Greg Chappell's account of it that, um, you know, he knew that Steve Smith was really struggling with the demands of the job. He'd had a massive Ashes series and he just wasn't really the strong leader that needed to be to say, no, we're not going to do this. Um, and he deserves criticism for that, but I think that he's paid his he's paid his dues well and truly. So I think it's good that he is considered for a, a leadership role. And I think that it was also the smart thing to do by Cricket Australia. Keep him um, happy. It would have been a big snub if they moved on to, say, Marnus Labuschagne, who's probably regarded as maybe needs a, a couple of more years before he's ready for that. And that if Pat Cummins does need to, on a 40-degree day, seek some refuge in the middle of a spell at fine leg, then obviously Steve Smith, who's done it all before, can certainly uh, position the field and make bowling changes if necessary. Uh, the timing of the announcement, it still gives them over a week before the first ball of the uh, first test is bowled. Uh, did you expect it to be taken care of this week? I actually thought it'd be taken care of earlier. Um, so, okay. um, yeah, they, they took longer than they uh, that I thought they would. And then just when I was thinking, oh, well, the, they've now created this new panel, this could be even longer. They've now got to it much more quickly. So, um, And I think that the way that Cummins spoke about the optimism in the group, um, I, I think that they, um, they're they raring to go. And he, he made that point that we're not going to forget the fact that we um, just, was it 10 days ago, won a T20 World Cup. Um, and I think that's important. Obviously, the personnel is slightly different, but I do like the stories of, of Mitch Marsh walking around with his... Um, with his uh, player, with his uh, medal around his neck, and uh, and referring to himself as the um, the Norm Smith and that sort of thing, <laughs> I, I like that, and I, I think that um, it's good that you don't want to win a tournament like that and and have it um, sort of forgotten about quickly. So yeah. I, I think they're in pretty good spirits. Does it give them some time uh, for some calm and to settle a little bit as a group uh, before the first test because of you know all the reaction uh, around what's been going on the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I think so. But I think that they probably don't need that much. I think that these elite athletes, especially cricketers, are very good at compartmentalising. I think there's a real feeling of sympathy for Tim Payne. And I think you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel it, no matter where people's viewpoint on the on the on what he did was, whether it's, um, you know, 
um, very, very bad uh, in terms of if it wasn't consensual or if it was, that it was just unseemly. No matter where you stand on that, the fact that he's now uh, gone from a week ago being Australian captain to now not Australian captain and on the face of it, out of the side and probably never to play international cricket again, you'd have to feel great sympathy for him. I think the players all feel that, uh, but they're all used to that whole notion of the minute the bowler lets the ball go as a batter, you focus on the ball to the exclusion of all else. And I think they're pretty good at that in their general lives as well, just um, focusing on the job at hand. With Tim Payne taking that leave, uh, it has moved on to who's next in line to be the keeper around uh, Alex Carey or Josh Inglis uh, to take up the gloves. We're more used to seeing both in action in white ball cricket, which does excite me as an option for the next keeper batter in the test side, having that explosive dimension. Uh, Which way are you leaning between the two? I think I probably would pick Carey, and I think that's the way that they're going to go as well, although in our podcast today, um, my co-host Menas was saying that, um, I think it might have been on SEN, Ian Healy talking about the, the rumour around that maybe that Inglis has um, got some, some backers. So I think either way, they'll do a good job. The reason I would pick Carey is that I find it very hard to line them up uh, in terms of their glove work. I think it's very hard to, to pick who's better in that regard, but although they're First-class batting averages are roughly the same, sort of in that 34 region. Uh, Carey, in the last couple of years, not this season, he hasn't batted so well this season, but the last couple of years, he's averaged much more than that. So I think on that, I'd say that maybe he's, um, if you say him at his very best, might be still a better batter than Inglis at his very best. And, and Carey's played some test-match-style innings uh, in the 29 and 2019 World Cup. Remember the game that we ended up losing to England, the semi-finals. Steve Smith and Kerry kind of um, rescued the side, and it was it was almost those are the only two that were really able to handle that difficult wicket. So that's kind of um, in addition to the fact that he can score quickly as well. That's a good sign to test for a potential test player. Would you expect once the decision is made that their selector, selectors will stick with uh, either Kerry or Inglis for the whole series, or would it have to take something quite drastic for them to make a change through that five-test series? I think it would have to take either an injury or something pretty drastic. That's the okay. thing with um, being a wicketkeeper that um, when you're in the side, it's fantastic because it is hard to dislodge because, um, as I said, it's very hard to line up uh, how good one keeper is relative to the other. And there's you know there's examples of it with um, with Gilly himself going across to couldn't get a, a gig in the New South Wales side, um, went across to Perth, eventually displaced Tim Zura and eventually uh, displaced Ian Healy, but it it took a long time for one of the greatest cricketers of all time to force his way into the Australian side. So I think if either of them were picked, they would need to be dropping catches, scoring no runs, and Australia losing for for the other one to then take their place. Uh, one of the other uh, points of interest for the makeup of the 11 is uh, possibly the Jai Richardson or Mitch Stark uh, selection. Uh, Jai Richardson with hauls of eight and seven across his past two Sheffield Shield matches for WA. I'm a parochial sandgroper, so of course I want him in. I believe he's adding a lot with a bat now <laughs> as well. Uh, are you expecting Mitch Stark to still get the nod for the first test? It's a 50-50 call, and I'm um, uh, I'm a New South Welshman, but I like to think <laughs> that I'm unbiased. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, I actually, I agree with you. I'd pick Richardson. Um, and um, I think that both of them will play a part in the series. They're, they are talking, with the exception of Pat Cummins, of, um, of rotation. Um, I just think the form he is in is just irresistible. And, um, you know, his record, albeit from he's had a, only a, a fairly short first-class career in terms of injuries have come in. He's only... Um, taken about 80 or so wickets, but he's taken them at an average that is in the very low 20s. And I just think you can't ignore that sort of bowling. And 
Uh, obviously, at the Wacker when he won the Man of the Match in the, the Big Bash a few years ago when he bowled the Scorchers to victory. And even then, at that young age, you could just see, gosh, this guy looks impressive. So, uh, yeah, if I was an England batter, um, I wouldn't want either of them, but I think I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably fear Richardson even more. Uh, the South Australia versus Queensland Sheffield Shield match had a lot of uh, interesting things going on. We'll start with the pitch. Uh, there was a bit of a damp spot, which uh, saw that Marnus Labuschagne had worn a couple. But after the uh, pitch staff got on top of it, he makes 100 the next day. And uh, Chad Sayers, a former South Australian paceman, came out and had <laughs> his say. It was a lot of feeling around the place around this match. Yes, I saw that tweet. Um, and look, I have some sympathy for where Sayers is coming from, but I... And his point was, you know, um, the bowlers don't get to walk off when it's a when it's a road, and I, I think that that speaks to a wider point in Australian and world cricket that bowl that pitches are too batter friendly, and you tend to get the best red ball cricket when the pitches are slightly in favour of the bowlers. And I think that hopefully for this Ashes series, that if we have that, uh, then we're going to be in for a cracking series. If we have a you know, an MCG-like pitch where they had last time around when England were out here and Alistair Cook got a double century. It, it drives everyone to sleep. But I think that where I don't have so much sympathy is for, for Sayers' point is that I think this pitch was genuinely a bit dangerous. And with there's a wet patch in the middle, the last thing any Australian fan wants is for Marnus Labuschagne to suddenly have a broken finger and be out for the Ashes or, or to get injured more seriously. I mean, it is a uh, courage is required to face these um, bowlers. And I think you're entitled to expect that, sure, the pitch might move about a bit, but a damp patch in the middle of it, I think they did the right thing in, in uh, suspending play on day one. In your mind, uh, who took the uh, points in the Kawaja versus head bat-off, which isn't a bat-off? <laughs> well, I suppose you'd have to say it was head. Um, you know, the that century that he scored in a, in a match where, you know, Labuschagne scoring a century, he's one of the greatest batsmen in the world. Not all that many other players are getting many runs. South Australia got a roll for what is 100 odd in the first inning. So for, for Head to get 100, he got it at a pretty quick quick rate as well. He only faced about 150 balls. Yep. That's very impressive because some of the criticisms had been that he'd scored some of the earlier runs on sort of, um, ironically, I think it was the same pitch, um, the, the Karen Rolton Highway they were calling it, but they're no longer calling it that after this game. Um, then Kawaja, look, didn't get much of a chance, but what did he get, 52 not out of 36 balls with... Um, about 10 fours. Uh, that's a pretty emphatic uh, statement, but probably Head gets the, the, the victory on points there. And I think, again, without being certain, I think they might be leaning towards Head for the number five spot. On Saturday, the WBBL seven final, uh, the Perth Scorchers taking on the Adelaide Strikers from up the stadium. I'm obviously on the uh, Scorchers. Uh, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I think I'd probably narrowly favour them. Um, not by much, but I think with uh, at their home ground, um, that's going to be uh, you'd give them the slight edge. Uh, it's it's going to be very interesting. Beth Mooney and Sophie Devine have been absolutely irresistible at the top of the order for them, and the Adelaide Strikers bowlers have been um, fantastic. So that could be a, a really interesting uh, clash. Uh, Megan Shute and Darcy Brown have been in good form, and Amanda Jade Wellington taking five for eight um, in their second last game. The Strikers so. Um, it could be a, a really fascinating game, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching it. And uh, just finally, before we let you go, Paul, uh, India versus New Zealand in some test match action. Uh, India posting 345 in their first dig. Shreyas Iyer with a fantastic ton, and uh, New Zealand making a great fist of their first innings up till this point. Just great, tense test match cricket, which is whetting the appetite for the Ashes. Certainly is, and um, it's, um, I'm impressed with how New Zealand are going because you just sort of expect that when India bat first in India that they don't make 350-odd, they make 550-odd. And so 
that was an impressive job by New Zealand to restrict them to that, albeit uh, several players have been arrested. Um, Coley and Rohit Sharma and um, Boomer and Mohamed Shami um, uh, on SENZ. Ian Smith wasn't very happy about that. And I can yeah. kind of agree with him that I, I can see where the Indians are coming from, that they need to rest these players because they have been playing back-to-back-to-back uh, cricket. But to, to rest players from test matches... Aside from when bowlers have had a large workload in previous test matches and have got test matches coming up, it's not something that sits well with me for the future of, um, for, of test match cricket. But, yeah, Shreyas Sentry on, on debut. He's, he's lit up the IPL over the last few years. And I was looking back, um, New Zealand have never won a test series in India. In fact, they've only ever won two solitary, wow. two lone test matches in India in the entire time that they've been playing there. So... Uh, it's too early to say, but um, they've made a very good start, and let's see what they can do on day three. Yeah, there was a uh, decision. I think it was Latham that was given out, and he's uh, reviewed that, and that's uh, being given not out. So still uh, with uh, no wickets down to this point, but uh, it's just been yeah, fantastic to see some tense test match cricket again after we've had, you know, it was it was fun having the World Cup um, T20 Carnival of the way and also the IPL before that, but give me back the five days of just, you know, gripping sort of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, uh, West Indies and Sri Lanka had a game the other day where um, day four, the West Indies came out really playing for a draw and there was a lot of rain around in Gaul. So hoping that they could get to stumps unscathed and then some rain might save them on day five. And before they knew it, they were six for 18, which is the worst six down score the West Indies have ever had. And from that point, you would give them no chance, um, but they managed to somehow limp to stumps without losing another wicket. Then on day five, they got to lunch with only losing one wicket. After lunch, I was reading the updates on Crick Info. The rain clouds were coming in. Sri Lanka dropped the key catch, and they were starting to panic. They ended up getting the final three wickets and coming coming away with the win. But again, yeah, sort of for all the glory and fun of the T20 and 50 over cricket, there is something pretty special about test matches. It's always great to see Rakeem Cornwell back out playing as well for the West Indies. I love, uh, love his work. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, the big man. Uh, the podcasts are the award-nominated Cricket Daily and the fantastic Cricket Unfiltered. Paul, I really thank you for the time on the Overnight Crowd. Good on you, Hita. Paul Dennett from the award-nominated Cricket Daily and also the fantastic Cricket Unfiltered joining me on the Overnight Crowd to talk everything going on in the world of cricket at the moment. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So... We doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.